Welcome back for the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead at Sports Pro Media, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. But Nick, I also have another guest here today. You might not see him, but uh, my my almost two-year-old staffy is joining us. We purchased a new bed for him because he's just getting a little bit bigger. Um, and he's cuddled up right next to my foot, just listening away. Not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing that he's falling asleep, but maybe uh, you know, sports broadcast news just isn't his jive. If I start hearing snoring sounds in the middle of the podcast, I'll realize it's not you. It's actually your dog who's making uh, making the noises. Uh, nice. Good to have a bit of company at this time of the year. Well, the funny thing is, Nick, is he actually has been in the room with me a couple of podcasts and he, uh, he'll he be dreaming and you'll hear him do a little woof, woof, woof. And I have to mute my mic real quick. And I'm really hopeful that, uh, you know, nothing gets picked up, although I'm sure the cuteness level of the podcast would go up if we were managed to to pick up some of those. But it's just the, 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 the fun part of podcasting and working from home now, you know, what was it last, when the uh, COVID just started. There was the BBC where the guy was getting interviewed and his, his daughter just came into the room. All those great sort of moments we don't get anywhere else. Don't get those as much anymore because we're all a bit too too well manufactured these days. I, um, I remember taking photos of when I was doing our first kind of webinar sessions or um, uh, online events and I had part of a step ladder and a bunch of books and then so I think a broom holding something up to try and create like a the right sort of dynamic and you know a nice little backdrop behind me but actually there was all just carnage behind me because that's right I was in my kids room at the time and there was just just stuff everywhere it was absolutely disgraceful um but you know it's uh, it's all smoke and mirrors in this industry and uh that's you know we, we've mastered that over the last few years across covid yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they can't see it behind me. You know, I bought this beautiful artwork behind me. I've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, LeBron James, Muhammad Ali. They all join me on all these podcasts. But yeah, you know, it seems everyone's gotten used to. I think the best one uh, was Deirdre Lester at the time. She was the chief revenue officer, Barstool Sports, sorry. Um, And we had her on for one of our insider series and she did it right next to her fireplace. And uh, you just have to trust me. It looked absolutely grand. What a power play that was. And like, how do you compete with that? Just someone with a burning fire to their side, needed a, needed a glass of whiskey or something at the same time and sitting back maybe with a cigar. That, that was the only thing she needed to level up even further. But it was definitely a, a strong power play that put us in, in, in our place. So, no, I mean, no one can see what's on the other other side of my screen. And I've got the Mo- uh, a replica of the Mona Lisa obviously in front of me. And, uh, no, I've actually got just a view of the outdoors in front of me, which is, which is nice of some kids making some snowballs, but uh, nothing too extravagant. Uh, on, on this on the other side of the camera here. Yeah, well, you know, people, they're certainly not here for our looks, Nick. They're here for our, <laughs> our beautiful dulcet tones and the insights that we bring about the sports broadcast industry, which is perfect medium for a podcast, which today we've got a very interesting guest. You know, one of the organizations we talk about quite frequently is leading the way. And surprisingly or not surprisingly, when we do our power rankings episode, they'll be near the top of that. We get to hear from someone from the NBA today, Nick. And given you were the one, they got to interview him while we were in Madrid, maybe you can give the audience a little bit of an update or a bit of a heads up on who they're going to be hearing from today. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I spoke with Ralph Rivera, who is the managing director of MBA for Europe and Middle East. And he's been with the organization for about four years. And prior to that, he was also 
the MD of Eurosport Digital for a number of years. He was also director of BBC Digital for five plus years. He was also the president of Major League Gaming and then worked at AOL for 10 years before that. So someone who is as bad as clued up in the digital space as you like. And his role uh, at the NBA is not just digital. It's, in fact, driving the whole growth of the NBA across probably its most important markets, if you think about it, right? The European market must be a the priority. I mean, there's lots of opportunities across the globe, but you think about the growth of the number of European players um, in the NBA of late and how successful they've been with you know, Giannis and Jokic and Doncic and those guys and obviously the bunch of Spanish players that have come through over the years and been so successful. Europe's a huge opportunity that they're still only, you know, they're making headway, but they're still they're still moving forward with that. And um, it was a great chance to speak with Ralph about that strategy and as well how things like um, like the new MBA app, which has been getting a huge amount, huge amount of coverage from us as well as from others in the industry, what role that's going to play for them? Because it, in my view, it, I'm expecting to play a pretty significant one because of the personalization opportunities that a, a platform like that can bring to the table. And just the fact that, you know, when we look at we look at sports, we typically measure on live sports eyeballs, right? But these days we were learning that that can't be the only measure and particularly challenging when you think about sports like or leagues like the NBA and the NFL, which time zones wise, they they just don't meet the peak, peak slots over here. So you're never going to get the audiences that your, your local top tier sports ever could, but they can get incredible numbers of engagement through other metrics and other channels like their NBA app and like through social. So this conversation with Ralph is all about their approach at growing across Europe uh, and the Middle East and also how things like their digital strategy um, fit in with all that and and also the, I guess, the in-person activities they're doing as well and how they all sync up to try and grow the game across uh, across those markets. Well, quite a bit to get into there. So if you just sit down, you don't have to go anywhere else. We'll switch over for Nick's interview with Ralph Rivera from the OTT Summit in Madrid. And if you stick around after that, we're going to go into a bit more of a deep dive uh, to get some of Nick's thoughts on how that conversation went. And maybe if there were any conversations that happened off stage, just give some perspective on what might be coming next for the NBA. And don't worry, you don't need to sit down unless if you're running, if you're taking a walk and you're walking your dog, whatever it is, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep listening and you'll enjoy it. I guarantee it. All right. Before we dig into things, uh, Ralph, obviously you're responsible for Europe and Middle East for the NBA. That's a, a pretty wide reaching remit. Uh, and obviously we've just seen a video for the NBA, new NBA app, which we'll dig into in quite a bit of detail later on. But I thought for context for people in the room, just to know who we're talking with, uh, not only is Ralph leading the NBA's efforts in those markets, but he's also coming with over 10 years of uh, background at AOL, or nearly six years at the BBC in the digital division, and also Eurosport uh, leading their digital efforts there for two and a half years. So you've seen quite a lot of evolution in this space. So excited to see what you think on that journey to what we're seeing at the NBA now and how that's all coming together. But before we do that, let's start with an easy one. What is the, the fundamental approach to the NBA to the markets you're responsible for? Everyone obviously sees it as, an, as a major American sport. It's also a global sport. But I imagine the, the strategy is quite different 
to what your counterparts are doing uh, in the US itself. So talk us through just how you're, how you're focused on growing the MBA in those markets. Yeah, definitely. Um, good morning, by the way, buenos dias. Yeah, the, the way that I look at NBA Europe and in the Middle East, I, I approach it more as a challenger brand. So um, in, in, in the US, basketball is absolutely right there with American football, baseball. It's just ingrained um, in, in the culture, in the schedule. Uh, whereas in Europe, in the Middle East, I would say there's football, then there's football, then there's football, then there's football, and then, you know, uh, some other things come in. And so I, I, I would say that having a, a, a challenger mindset says we have to do more in terms of continuing to build the game, not take that for granted, uh, drive fandom around uh, the game and just increase our sphere of influence. And so the three things that we do uh, to achieve that are one, constantly focus on youth development, community development through basketball, our grassroots programs. We work with the national federations on things like junior NBA, uh, NBA schools. And so getting kids to bounce the ball rather than kick the ball, get them exposed to the game. And everyone, I think, appreciates the fact that if you've played the game, if you've been exposed to it in that way, you're more likely to be a fan afterwards. So our grassroots basketball efforts. I'd say the, the second um, thing is bring experiences here. And so when we, uh, you know, last month, uh, we had our first games in, in, um, in Abu Dhabi, in that part of the world. And it was amazing uh, because that's not usually considered basketball territory, but we sold out two games very quickly. The, the buzz and the impact in the arena was amazing. But beyond that, it was a catalyst for the, the continued development of basketball in, the, in, in that part of the world. So our fan events, uh, we opened an NBA store, uh, Yaz Mall in Abu Dhabi, and we had our legends come. And so it was very impactful, but also as a catalyst for building out the basketball ecosystem. And then third, uh, which is you know, focus here you know, in terms of media content distribution, is making our stories available. And so obviously the games themselves, working with our broadcast partners throughout the region here in Spain with uh, Movie Star, who do a great job of presenting our games and telling the stories around the game. And then um, making our, uh, our highlights available on social media, enabling our basketball community to tell stories on 
on our on on our behalf and then obviously with the app taking the app to another level in terms of how our fans can pursue their passion uh for the game and you know i've been in this business for a long time and so you know at the bbc with iplayer from 2010 obviously doing the 2012 olympics and there's certainly a progression in terms of how you use technology how you use uh online mobile so on and so forth to engage fans and a big part of that is going beyond replicating the broadcast experience on connected devices to how you go beyond that to actually enable different formats, different stories, include other storytellers, the role that the players themselves uh, take on to build the, uh, their brands in the NBA. We're very fortunate that our players are iconic uh, brands onto themselves and providing them with a, a platform to engage and not just about the game, but obviously in terms of culture and lifestyle. So, so of all the markets that you're covering, all the countries that are in those regions, that's quite a, quite a lofty number. I don't know the exact number, a couple of dozen at least. Um, oh, it's 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 more, more than fifty. Is it fifty? Gosh, I should get my geography uh, sorted. Um, which ones are the key markets for you there? Yeah, and 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 so when when we look at our our key markets, our core markets, you know, Spain, very strong basketball. Um, tradition here recently your basket champions as well you know strong partner with uh with movie star uh uk our partnership with sky in the uk uh france with uh with being uh italy with uh sky as well and in germany with the zone those have been our core markets and um, in terms of beyond that with fandom, obviously places like Greece and, and uh, the Balkans, uh, Slovenia, Serbia, those places have started to come up. One, because of a tradition of fandom around basketball, but also some of the best basketball players in the world now are coming out of Europe. And so the last four MVPs of the NBA have been between Giannis and then uh, Jokic. So obviously the fandom has increased and then, you know, we're uh, very focused on building out um, in, uh, in the Middle East and the Arabic world at large. So when you have these, these top European players coming in, there's more and more of them, the ratio, I don't know what the percentages are these days, but there's more European players than ever playing in the NBA. How does that shift your focus, particularly on the, the digital and broadcasting front? So for example, let's use Jokic as an example, he starts, setting the world on fire all of a sudden, coming out of relatively nowhere to become the, the MVP. Are you then going back to the broadcasters and saying, we need to talk a, talk a different ball game now to what we were talking about a couple of years ago? And, and, and then how do you make sure you leverage that opportunity? Because you don't know how long that's going to last. You, just, yeah. you, know, you can't take anything for granted, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say it's the other way around. Once these players emerge, then the broadcasters become you know, more interested in highlighting uh, the game itself, 
but those teams and and those players. And look, one of the things that we have as a challenge in our region is time zone. And uh, the vast majority of the games are going to be on at two or three o'clock in the morning. And so one of the things we've really focused on is developing prime time, a prime time games schedule such that Saturday and Sunday games that occur in the early afternoon in the U.S. are in in prime time here. So that's one level uh, to make sure that fans here can see the live game at a reasonable hour. Uh, two is we've uh, enabled more IP delivery rather than satellite delivery that then gives the broadcasters choice as to the games that they actually select. Therefore, then, if they have an interest in a particular team, they can get more of that team in, into their, uh, into their uh, audiences. And then the third thing is obviously online access, condensed games, highlights. And then if you saw some of the clips there, a lot of our fans are interested in what happens off the court, not just on the court. And so we, we feed that in terms of stories and content such that you can really wake up in the morning, catch up on everything that's gone on the night uh, previously, uh, look at a few condensed games if you want, uh, but then follow the stories throughout the day. And then if there's a primetime game, you can you know, watch that at, at night. Uh, so we've got a quick question from the Sports Pro Couch from our tech editor, Steve. Hi, um, you mentioned the, the growing influence of European players on the league. Um, I know the other week that you started to show content from the, the, the French league involving Victor Wembanyama. So I was wondering um, how much, if, if any, your role is about promoting the European side of the game to a, a North American audience. Yeah, totally. I, uh, you know, one of the things I, I look at it in terms of basketball. And the more that we grow basketball, the, the more fandom we have around basketball overall, then every key stakeholder in the basketball ecosystem is going to benefit from that. Um, NBA, the, the domestic leagues here, the pan-European leagues here, and obviously the players. And so since we have a pretty significant platform for star basketball players, uh, then if we start to see these players rising, then we can shine the spotlight on them. And that, that one, there was already tremendous interest, but then we can start to amplify that. And actually in the U.S., you started to see that these players were getting on the radar screen prior to even going to college and then before coming to, to the NBA. And so they were starting to show up on social media channels and on YouTube. And so now what we're doing is we're picking up on that trend, both in the U.S., um, but then also obviously uh, here with Victor Wembayama, and that has drawn significant interest in the U.S. And so it's mutually beneficial 
for, let's say, the, the game in France, the basketball game in France and stakeholders there to get exposure to the U.S. market through this uh, iconic uh, or hopefully iconic uh, player that's, you know, that's coming up. Uh so let's move into talking a bit more digitally. Um, the the when the NBA app uh, that the, the example you gave there with Victor and the French league is now available in the app. I think it's the first time you guys have supported that sort of uh, initiative. Yep. But just talk us through what exactly is in. I mean, even the term app I think is a bit probably simplified because it's 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 already a one stop shop, right, for for NBA fans to go to. So just talk us through what are some of the the nuts and bolts of what that that offers. Yeah, well, look, I, I think the first thing, and I, I I think some people know that we have always had a direct to consumer experience, or always at least for the last twelve years, we've been able to go OTT uh, via our League Pass. Uh, product here in 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 Europe, and so we've always had that, but that was through um, uh, partners, right? And so um, Endeavor Streaming was our partner uh, internationally in in doing that, and we decided that we wanted to bring that in house because digital and direct to consumer is such a key pillar of our strategy going forward that we wanted to take what we were doing to the next level. And the only way to do that is really to bring the platform in-house, develop our technology capabilities, our product and UXD capabilities so that we can iterate our experiences in, in real time. And so we've just launched the, the app this past September, and it's really the, the start of this pivot to going beyond simply rebroadcasting our games, right? And so obviously we're doing that. And uh, any wood, knock on wood, we haven't had our baptism of fire yet, which every uh, new launch goes through. I have scars in my back from prior uh, launches like that but we've uh we've done very well and the key thing is we're delivering the basics in terms of reliable delivery of our live games and also our condensed games and all the game action but the thing where we're going beyond is that we're introducing a lot more content and so uh there's lifestyle uh content you saw jason tatum playing golf you know, what does that have to do with basketball, except for the fact that our basketball fans are very interested in what our players do off uh, off the court. We've also, from a format perspective, really emphasized vertical video. Now, that seems small, but it's significant because it's a mind shift change from, oh, actually our mobile device working with a format that's meant for TV, therefore then people should flip it around to watch it, except that's not the way that most users are consuming content on mobile. They're in a video, uh, in a vertical experience. And so we flipped over to uh, vertical video and that has tremendously increased our video uh, views. We're 150% up on video views 
with the launch of our uh, of our of our new app. So new sort of content, but also a shift in terms of uh, the format. And then also looking at how we aggregate additional content. So the the French League games with Victor Wembayama, we're going to put the uh, G League Ignite uh, games on there as well. We're talking to some other folks about um, us essentially being an aggregation uh, platform uh, to highlight their games. And then um, also... Uh, additional products and services. So betting has really taken off. And so having specific streams that appeal to folks that are are betting on, on the game and then our partnerships with our merchandising partners. So to enable commerce and, and things like that. And then uh, the other piece, which is you know, still beginning and much more to come is NBA ID. And so looking at our fans as members of our community and then creating a mechanism for them not just to sign in so that we can personalize their experience, but also uh, the opportunity for them to get um, special privileges, whether it be access to certain content, to uh, privileged access to uh, certain events, getting badging for um, some of the activities that they pursue with the league. So there's plenty in there. It's just a big piece of work. Uh, before I ask you another question, Tom, our news editor, might have another question from Sportsbro Couch. Yeah. Hi, Ralph. Um, I just wanted to follow up about what you were saying on uh, vertical video. Does that mean we might be seeing live games uh, put in that vertical format? I know DFL have tested it. The Liga have tested it. Are you going to do full NBA live games in vertical too? Yeah. And, and so actually we have, uh, as part of the app, we have multiple views on live games. And so one of the views that you have on live games is a vertical uh, view on 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 the live game as well. Now, obviously, you know, um, at a certain point in time, how much coverage are you getting of the court and how much action? I still believe that uh, for a live game, that a mobile device is the device of last is the screen of last resort you're going to want to watch it on the biggest screen available uh to you um but when uh mobile is what you have then that's you know that'll be the experience that you use so it's only early days and i'm not sure whether you can share some insights you've picked up so far but that 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 balance between the live content that's available, the live games, and the non-live content. What are people coming to the platform now? What are the early signs there? Or what are you expecting that to be like? Is it an even split? Is it live and live first? I mean, you've got a lot in there, so there's a lot, lot packed in. Yeah, and, and so look, I, you know, for, for us, we have a tremendous amount of non-live consumption because of the time zone. Uh, component, right? So we have highlights, we have condensed games, and we have um, the the lifestyle content. And so we'll have in in this part of the world, we'll always have a significantly uh, higher portion of non-live to live compared to in the U.S. or in uh, Latin uh, Latin America that are 
more in uh, you know more in time zone. I think our our success, the the way that I, I look at it is always how are we going beyond what someone would a- already be able to get via broadcast? Because on broadcast, you are getting the best possible experience. You're getting you know you're on the big screen. Um, you're getting the, the the benefit of the local broadcaster doing this shoulder programming around it, the halftime show, what have you. And yes, uh, we can bring that via a connected device, but how much better is that specific experience going to be, you know, online? The real measure is how fans engage beyond that. And what is uh, what are the other things that they do in terms of pursuing their fandom that they do through our app that that go beyond the broadcast? I will go to questions from the audience shortly. So if you have any, throw them into the the Slido or Swap Card app. Um, one of the interesting things I think for the NBA app that I I found maybe it's more of a US thing. So I'm not sure how much it sits into your your space. But there's the the new launch of Clipper Vision, which is one of the teams launching a their subscription product integrated into the NBA app. I found that an interesting move because obviously that's a, and I'm not so going to focus on the US too much here about what the RSN versus that uh, that marketplace is doing. But do you see, I guess that is a, as a, as a starting point where all you have a more customized approach to the subscription offerings in the platform that might be more team led versus, you know, just subscribe to the NBA uh, for, the, totally. for the season. Totally. Um, and so if you pull the, the lens back a bit in terms of how you approach product development and overall strategy, um, I feel the best way to do that is always p- to put the user or the fan at the center of your universe, and then you figure out how to best enable what they want to do. And the reason I say that is because there are different fans that engage with basketball at different levels. And some will come in at a league level because they're, they're interested not just on one team or one player, their interest cuts across the best teams and players across the league. So their, their entry will be at a league level. Fans that love their team will come in through the team. And then there are increasingly more and more fans that actually are about a specific player. And so they come in through the the player. And so if you look at that as part of the same ecosystem and you want to create a platform that enables all of those different sort of navigation paths, then it makes sense for us to build the platform that enables that not just for our app, but enables that for the team that owns the regional sport network because they have the rights so that they can then create a team-based view on that, but be able to leverage all of the content that cuts across the environment. So, and, 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 and so... Right now, most folks don't operate that way, right? The league does their thing, teams do their thing, and then players do their thing. And hey, that that will get stories out there, but you're not really harnessing the full power of everything that you can do if you could bring them together. And I imagine you talked about earlier, 
working with federations to help grow the sport I, knowing from being involved with federations in, in britain that's not an easy game to sort of sync up with a commercial organization but i won't push you on that one too much i'm curious what there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of growth that you're probably seeing across consumption and interest around mba what are some of the challenges that you're seeing to, to make that happen to, to push those things forward as as quickly as you would like yeah and so look i think the biggest challenge not just for the nba but for sport in general is the that everything now is a competition for attention and that while these uh, you know online mobile has enabled you know significant additional distribution capability that also it's reduced the barriers to entry for content producers. Therefore, there's a tremendous amount of choice in how someone spends their media time. So media time has grown. So that's good. More people are watching more video or listening to more podcasts and music than ever before. But the, the competition has increased dramatically. And so I don't look at competition from other leagues, basketball leagues, or other sports. It's competition from uh, video uh, games. It's competition from social media experiences. And so we, we and, and the thing about sport, right? We live in a competitive world. You always have to up your game and you assume that your competitors are doing the same thing and competing for attention. But for me, that's the biggest challenge is that the, the competition for attention is just continues to increase. That said, um, sport continues to be one of the top passions that people have and passions that they pursue. I think uh, family, your kids, right? But then sport. By the way, for most people, maybe some people even sport, you know, above all others. But I think we, we're in a privileged position where sport continues to be the thing that uh, brings people together. I wasn't able to make it last night, but I heard that the scene here was incredible with everybody gathering around the screens and enjoying the community around the uh, watching uh, the World Cup as as an example. And so that's a big advantage that we have. And long may it continue. Now we've got a couple of questions that have come in on the Slido app. So let's have a look. What are your plans for growing the WNBA in this in this region? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the WNBA has grown significantly in the US over the last couple of years. Uh, and in the region, one of the things that we've done with our junior MBA program that used to, for the boys and the girls, were always the NBA teams. And so one of the things we do with our junior MBA program, we have you know, our NBA teams, they get drafted into that. So this year, the girls uh, junior MBAs are um, being drafted into WNBA teams. And so we're starting at the grassroots level with that. Uh, secondly, when you go into our stores, we're making sure that we have WNBA product in our stores. And the orange WNBA hoodie has become an iconic um, hoodie. So if you see that in a store, make sure you pick it up because it might not uh, be there for long. 
Um, and then thirdly, we're looking at um, starting to um, bring the WNBA beyond the U.S. So actually, they're going to have their first international game in Canada. And then we're going to look to bring them out here as well. We're almost out of time, so we'll quickly fire through a couple of these. The NBA Top Shop was has been a huge success in um, in launch uh, what, one or two years ago now. Are there any plans for Web3 to be integrated into the NBA app? Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and so I, uh, by the way, my background really is tech from way way back. And one of the things I, I keep a, a level head on is all of the use of acronyms and all the buzz phrases that, that, that are used. So Web3, crypto, blockchain, NFTs, what have you. The, the thing I would say is that because we're online, we have a great platform for iterating new experiences because that's the thing that you want to do is create great experiences and great stories. And that's true no matter what the technology. And obviously, as these enabling technologies come up, you want to create new products and services, new features that enable even better experiences to tell your stories better. And, and final question from Carlo DeMarcus. Um, what about media rights holders integrating into your app is that possible yeah and so one of the things that we've uh that we've done even previously when we had our nba online sites in europe we worked with our our media rights partners to actually manage those sites one of the key things that we've done with with the app and it's really at a platform level right is create open api so that we can integrate our partners so whether it be our our media partners or uh, merchandising sponsorship uh partners as well and what about getting the app on their platforms yeah and oh yeah of of, of course and we've done that with league pass as well and i think that's something that you're seeing is it used to be that everybody wanted a closed platform and if you wanted to come in you bring your content but not your app um, everyone has now come to understand that it's better to be open and be a platform of apps not just a platform of content because you want to get that network effect and that recirculation and essentially aggregate as well and so we work with our partners to do that great stuff look if you haven't already downloaded the nba app do it because if you look at it you'll find that it is really the future of what this whole event is about it's ott is more than just ott as a distribution channel it's a digital destination i think the nba have probably got the the market leader already uh, out there. So it's worth having a look to see what they're doing because it will probably give you a lot of inspiration for what others should be doing uh, in this space over the years to come. So Ralph, thanks for joining us and, and sharing a little bit more about it. Thank you. Welcome back, Nick. You know, that was a great conversation that you got to have with Ralph there at the NBA. You know, one of the things that we sort of mentioned before we got to that interview, 
you know, was there anything perhaps, you know, leading up to that session, some conversations that took place beforehand that, you know, maybe stuck out to you? Appreciate there's always confidentiality with these things. You can't give away everything, but was there anything or any sort of sense of the future of the NBA, particularly in the markets he's looking at that you thought were interesting? Well, I just, I just thought that um, he actually raised it uh, in the session as well, but that whole biggest screen available situation about you know that people still ultimately the live game it doesn't matter about all the innovation you can have in consuming sports around mobile devices or tablets or whatever it might be or computers the big screen is always where people are going to have the best experience uh, in consuming live sports and someone with his background in digital it makes sense that you know if anyone would say lean towards more digital initiatives and innovations around mobile devices. He'd be that type of person, but even so, he's still you know, outlining the fact that 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 biggest screen available is still the most important thing in the viewing experience of live sports. Look, I, I think the the conversations I've had with a number of people, not just with Ralph, around around the event and around the NBA, are the fact that they are really trying to build a destination for fans to come to. They are trying to become a one-stop shop they're trying to create a, a product and platform that is is really tailored or catering to the different markets and different sets of fans so their platform has a space and a place for a casual nba fan or for a really passionate fan and that's that's a tough proposition to become a a one-stop shop for everyone and you know what you classify as a casual fan or a or a, or a passionate fan of the sport differs from from market to market, but it isn't easy to do that. And the only way they can do that is throw the kitchen sink at all the different sort of layers of opportunity or offering that they bring to it. You know the TikTokification of the platform and video content they're making available, the more uh, behind the scenes content that's going to be available, the more documentary style content. Uh, and obviously, they're going to have a lot of live content on there as well, whether it be the League Pass, uh, the new iteration of the League Pass, or the Clipper Vision concept with more team-specific subscriptions. They have a bit of everything on there, and I just found that really interesting. They have become the true – they're trying to build the true one-stop shop. Uh, and I have heard over the years that the NBA has been having a huge amount of conversations with different tech providers and partners across the industry basically gearing up for this moment to go, okay, we were trying to take the best in class of, of insights that we think uh, are going to enhance the way people consume content around the NBA. And we're going to bring it all into our platform. And I'm re I think this is going to be the, the market leader, the, the benchmark for the industry for the next few years as to how to build a single destination for sports fans, whether they are the casual, or the passionate ones. Well, here's a question for you on your personal opinion, which one of the things the NBA has been really great at is its accessibility. You think about things like the House of Highlights, or you think about some of the channels that exist on YouTube putting together game highlight packages. You know, that's one of the things that you would argue has made the NBA as popular as it is. Some of the cult following that it has is actually the amount of, you know, UGC that exists outside of the NBA universe. In, in your eyes, building this one-stop shop, is there going to be a particular, I don't know, maybe barrier to some of those other platforms? Is there a way that those two can exist in harmony? You know, what are your thoughts on sort of is building that one-stop shop maybe the, the best idea for them to do, given how well some of that content has performed outside of their platforms? It's an interesting question. And I do have some question marks on it. Like, I think if you think about what an individual proposition or product 
or property wants to achieve. Um, they want to bring more audiences to their own platforms for obvious reasons. They can build a better relationship with the audience directly. They can monetize it through different directions and uh, and provide new services to, to offer them. But the NBA is in, a, in an interesting position where it has such an incredible array of media outlets and social media platforms and influencers and creators that cover everything that the NBA is about in such a robust fashion that I do wonder about the notion of like, do you, are you creating competition with your best partners, even if whether it's a direct financial relationship or not, and does that matter or not? And I have been sort of pulling myself in different directions with where I lean on, on that concept. And I think ultimately it's fine. You know, there's, I don't think it's going to alienate too many fans, but if you were ESPN in this instance, right, and you had a really strong relationship or maybe Turner and TNT, and they were building this platform that kind of feels like they're rivaling your type of product, it might at least make you ask some questions about why they're doing it and what's their, their longer-term uh, plan. That being said, I love it from their own lens, and I think it's, 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 a, it's a great initiative for them to do, but it must... It must raise some question marks, at least from the House of Highlights types to say, hey, uh, how far are you going to go into this space? And you're going to be starting to compete for more attention of our audiences, because if you are, that makes our job a little bit harder to get the value from the rights that we're buying off you if they are a, a premium broadcast partner. In terms of the session with Ralph, you know, very, very rarely do we ever get enough time that it feels like we were able to answer all the questions or perhaps being able to ask the follow-up questions that we'd want to. Was there anything in particular that came up in the conversation with Ralph that maybe you wish you could have gone a little bit deeper on, or maybe you can provide some analysis on something that maybe only got covered top level, but maybe you'd want to just dive a little bit deeper into what got discussed? Yeah. Well, one of the things that came up, which I wanted to probably cover a little bit more was um, in the new NBA app, they've actually, for the first time, the NBA has acquired media rights of the French Pro League. And they've done that for really one, one main reason. Um, and then it, it, and that's basically because of uh, Victor Wembenyama, who's you know, projected to be not only the first overall pick in the next draft, but potentially the all 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 god level um, next player to join the league. And if you think about the Kevin Durant's and LeBron James's of the world, that's how he's already being positioned as someone who will give them a run for money in terms of his status. Obviously, that's very premature, but that's the type of um, coverage he's he's getting. And because there's so much excitement about him, they've done a deal with the Pro League of France to cover his cover his games basically which you thought you think about it's actually quite an extraordinary move for the nba who you know he's 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 in in theory he's in a competitor league he's not even drafted yet by the nba there's all this pressure and momentum building around this guy and they're buying rights or they're, they're doing a deal to get the rights of the the league on their own platform so it's just a fascinating situation to see how far will that go will they start to acquire more and more pro leagues around around um, the world to bring onto the NBA platform as a single destination. A bit like what we've seen with the UFC. UFC have done that with a lot of combat sports. And it would make a lot of sense in a lot of instances why they might do that uh, for their point of view. And it is one of those whole win-win situations where everyone gets a bit more profile uh, and coverage as a result. But I just wish I'd sort of pushed a bit more to find out, uh, you know, is it likely we'll see many more of those? You know, there are some pretty mature basketball leagues in the world, but could you imagine if, say, the Spanish league wanted to be 
hand over their rights to, I don't know, to, to the NBA in certain markets for, as an extra distribution channel. It surely must be a win-win in a lot of instances. Um, so that, that was probably one of the things I wanted to spend a bit more time on. I wanted to talk to him a bit more about their market-by-market market approach around media rights, which I didn't get much time to dig into. We only had 25 minutes or so. And just also how they obviously have invested into these, these different types of games they bring to the market. So they've had games in London, they've given games in Paris and in Abu Dhabi just recently, which we do cover in this conversation. And obviously they're making waves in Africa. We're looking at launching a new league out there. Just how are they going to measure success around those things and how are they going to turn that into fans of the NBA? And does even becoming a fan of the NBA mean they have to become a fan of the NBA league or is it just becoming a fan of say the NBA African league? Is that enough for them? Like what's, what is success look like in those, those different markets? It's, it's not as, it's not as simple as just, Hey, watch our league. Like it might be the, with the NFL because of the way basketball's, you know, tentacles are sort of spread globally. It's, it's, it feels a bit more nuanced than that. It's interesting. I spoke to someone uh, at FIBA and they're new, they came in second silver medal for best new platform with their courtside 1891 platform. And, you know, they mentioned talking about kind of being the home of basketball. So sort of your mention with the success we've seen in Europe, you know, with the likes of Giannis and Luca, you know, they said they had some really interesting data points that say, hey, when those guys come over and play European basketball, there's a lot of interest in watching that. And they talked about almost becoming this aggregator of basketball. Now, they knew when they were talking about becoming the home of basketball that did not include the NBA, but it is, you know, an interesting point. You talk about the French league and, you know, it does seem like it'd be a win-win for everybody. If, you know, you're getting more eyeballs, you won't have got before if people are on there. Um, and to your point, like it probably is enough just to be a fan of basketball. I mean, I, I think maybe you just want people in that ecosystem, but uh, it's an interesting question to ask for sure. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll see a little bit of competition come in the market with uh, FIBA's uh, and Two Circles joint venture, uh, courtside eighteen ninety one. I think is the number um, yeah. competing with the NBA for for league rights. You never know. Never know. Could happen. Yeah. Well, they've got their big uh, world championships in the summer, and I know they're talking about that being a big event for them. Uh, but obviously, you know, the NBA is still king when it comes to that. Well, Nick. You know, it's a great session with Ralph. NBA, as always, is someone that everybody wants to look to for learnings. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And unless you've got anything else, Nick, I think we can kind of wrap people up. You know, we're in the holiday season now, so people are probably hanging out around the Christmas tree or whatever sort of holidays you celebrate. And uh, hopefully this has brought you some entertainment on some downtime. Drinking some eggnog? Is that a Christmas thing? Mm, yeah. Man, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I can't get the idea in my head around drinking egg for, for it. But anyway, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. If uh, I don't know when this is coming out, before or after, but uh, enjoy. Hope it's a good listen, and um, we'll, we'll be with you again soon. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. 
Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. Thank you.